this podcast does not provide medical advice. Please listen to the complete disclosure at the end of the recording. Hello and welcome to Everyone Dies, the podcast where we talk about serious illness, dying, death, and bereavement. I'm Marianne Matzo, a nurse practitioner, and I use my 43 years of nursing experience to help you understand what happens at the end of life. And I'm Charlie Navarrete, an actor in New York City, and here to ask questions that you may have. We are both here because we believe that the more you know, the better prepared you are making difficult decisions. So please relax and get yourself a beverage, something to eat, maybe some tea and pie or a Long Island iced tea and pie. Mm, yes. And thank you for spending the next hour with Charlie and me. In the first half, we have our recipe of the week from Charlie. In the second half, I'm going to be talking about the stages of dying as part of our Last Hours of Living series. And in our third half, Charlie has an essay from Dr. Sarah Kerr. Charlie, mm-hmm. what do you have for our first half? Well, the recipe of the week is manish water, a Jamaican funeral food. This recipe calls for two pounds goat head, organs and feet. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> Two pounds goat head, organs and feet. I know. You probably assume organs means Wolitzer. I don't think so. (laughs) Now, one prepares this dish by first cutting the goat head and belly in small pieces, then clean in a mixture of vinegar and four cups water. You lost me at goat head, dude. All right. So not all morning rituals are explicitly solemn affairs. In Jamaica... Family and friends gather for a Caribbean wake known as the Nine Nights, during which they share stories, dance, play games, and eat. The goat, uh, sorry, I mean the goal, is to encourage (laughs) the the deceased spirits, known as a doopy, to depart. If the doopy doesn't leave, it will stay in limo and become an angry spirit that haunts the living. Even Casper the friendly ghost stays away. You know, there's a wow. new Ghostbusters, uh, Ghostbusters movie coming out, Marianne. Really? <laughs> the nine nights are punctuated by drumming and dancing that offer an energetic contrast to death. This vitality is also conveyed via manish water, a goat soup. There's that goat again. There we are. With the ledge aphrodisiac properties. Okay, now suddenly I'm more respectful of this concoction. Yeah, now you got my interest. Yes, that's not the only thing that's up. So, this <laughs> recipe varies, but generally, <laughs> generally uses a male goat's head, entrails, and testicles that mingle in a broth of carrots, potatoes, and green bananas. I got nothing to add. Most cooks add a kick with white rum and some heat, courtesy of scotch bonnet or habanero peppers. At once gamey, savory, and spicy, the soup often gets paired with bammy, a small cassava-based cake, a white hard dough Cas- bread. Ca- yeah. Cassava. Cassava? What did I say? Oh, who knows what I said? Cas- cassava? Casanova. That's probably what I said, just mingling uh, in with yeah. it. Yes. Well, let's, just, let's call it All what right. it should be. Cassava-based cake. A white hard dough bread. There's that concoction again. Uh, and mm. white rum. So oh. because of its connection to reproduction and new life, 
Managed water also appears at celebrity occasions like weddings. If you can track down its ingredients, then good luck with that. Try this recipe. If you can't get your hands on a goat head, you can just use goat meat. Well, that takes care of the problem. Oh, the yeah, things you we sacrifice. Get goat meat at at some of the. Actually, you can. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I mean, I mean, here it's actually here in New York. It's pretty easy to get goat meat. Yeah, I was going to yeah, say that's yeah, not going to be hard. No, not at all. So with that, listen, uh, please go to our webpage for a link to this recipe, other recipes, and additional resources for this program. We hope you Or will. you can just drink mm-hmm. the rum. You could just drink the rum and... You know, you could, you know as, as you're trying to figure out, now, where can I get a goat's head? Do that while, you know, drinking rum, and then you're thinking more, and you drink a little more, and, and suddenly you forget the damn goat's head and just drink the rum. Okay, problem mm-hmm. solved. Uh, yes, so on our website, uh, recipes and additional resources for this program. We we hope you will follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Kindly remember to rate and review this podcast. As a nonprofit organization, we depend on you, kind strangers and loyal listeners. Look, we always appreciate your donations. So please go to our webpage to donate in support of our work at www. Dot everyone dies.org. That's every the number one dies.org. Marianne, what do you got? Well, I'm going to talk about the stages of dying and kind of lay them out for you, Charlie, so that you can see what to expect, um, understand why it's happening, and then know what you can do to, to help because we want to make it a death better for the person who's dying and also for you well, yeah, the, the living. as yes. family members and people yeah. who love the person who's dying. Now, I've been seeing lately a lot of um, like messages on Facebook that say, well, my mom is transitioning. And I'd read that and I'd say, what the heck are they talking about? Transitioning? And um, so I looked into that and what we say in hospice is we'll say, well, they're actively dying. You know, they, oh. they've gone from that mm-hmm. point yeah. where they're um, very, very sick to that stage of dying. So if you think about like a woman giving birth, they've gone from having contractions and that yeah. kind of thing to giving birth. The baby's coming. So maybe that maybe the transitioning did come from that childbirth thing. Um But I think it's also a way, kind of a nice way of saying dying so that you don't have to say the word dying. You know, you don't have to tell people your mom is dying. You can say your mom is transitioning. But you know how I am, Charlie. I really believe in, you know, call things what they're called. And and if if they're dying, we can say they're actively dying. So in the early stages of dying, and this can be weeks, but everyone is different, Um, what you're going to see is a decrease in both eating and drinking, which can last from days to weeks. I've seen it go weeks. And you think, how are they still alive? But um, it can go for a while. But there's that less interest in food. Eating can become more of a burden than a pleasure occasionally choking on fluids or the feeling that they're full 
quickly. And we talked about that in great deal in episode 27. So we'll put the links in the show notes so that you can find the episode if, if you haven't listened to it already as to what is really going on here. Yeah. So the Reader's Digest version of why this is happening is that the body is conserving energy and requiring less nourishment. This natural process of shutting down um, hunger does not cause pain or suffering. It is a normal thing. Um, giving IV fluids or artificial feeding at this time can cause physical distress in the body and will not prevent the death. It'll just make it harder. Um, but what could you do to help? You can moisten your loved one's mouth with um, swabs, you know, oral swabs that, you know, the hospice can give you or just a washcloth, you know, next to their mouth. Yeah. You can offer sips mm -hmm. of fluids or ice chips. If they want it, they'll take it. If they won't, they, they won't. Um, you can offer bits of food if desired, you know, a taste of some yogurt or, you know, some soup or something that they've always really liked. And they may take it, but they might only just want that one bite. Don't force it. And be sure that you're going to follow um, your loved one's wishes about taking food and fluids. So in the middle stage, as you're getting closer to death, uh, what you can see is changes in physical appearance that can last a few hours or days. And this is that the patient's hands or feet may become cool. They might be darker in color. And this is happening because your loved one's circulation is slowing down and that the blood is being re reserved for the major internal organs. Remember, the body's going to protect those internal organs and they don't really care about the hands and the feet. So what can you do to help? You can place or remove blankets on the patient's, on your loved one's, um, depending on their circulation changes. Don't use electric blankets or heating pads that your loved one can't tell you if they're too hot and you can end up actually, and I've seen this happen, burn the skin. So don't do that. Oh. What you can do though, is you can take those blankets and put them in the uh, warm dryer, warm them up in the dryer and then lay them over them. And mm. that feels really, really good. It's simple enough to do. And um, you can layer as many blankets as they feel that they need. And um, it's a good thing, a good way of act of caring. So um, your loved one may respond less and less to you and to their surroundings. Eventually, they're going to be not really moving, not really talking. And this usually happens during the last few days of life, but it can wait until the last few hours. And you can listen to episode 29 where we talked about that. So what's happening is that your loved one is preparing um, for release or for their death by detaching from their surroundings and relationship. This is a physical and spiritual process in part of dying. This is normal. This is natural. It's not because they don't like you. It's not because of anything else is that it's just that the, the body kind of turns inward because, you know, you know, the people say, oh, you're born alone and you die alone. Well, this is part of that. This is part of that turning inward. So what can you do to help? Well, first, assume that the patient can hear everything that you're saying. 
So if you say, God, he's being such a jerk, he won't talk to me, <laughs> assume that he can hear you say that. Um, so unless you want him to hear you say that, don't say that. Um, talk softly. Uh, don't ask questions that require answers. Right. You know, like you could say, well, do you know how much I love you? Well, that doesn't really require a answer, but don't make it hard. Don't make them feel like they have to interact with you. If they feel that they want to interact with you, they will. Um, you can touch them gently if the person who's dying likes to be touched. You know, if they've never liked to be touched their entire life, there's nothing about the death process that says, oh, now I like everybody all over me. It doesn't work that way. If they never like to be touched, kind of keep that in mind. Um, you might for find prayers or meditation helpful at this time, if that's something that you find helpful. Um, but if it's something that's going to annoy your loved one, then probably don't do that. And then there's the late stage of dying. This, like I said, this act of dying. And that can be approximately three days to hours before they actually die. And what you see here is some intermittent disorientation, some restlessness can occur in patient. Um, and this can increase in the last hours um, before death. And we talked about that in um, episode 32, so you could t take a listen to that if you haven't heard it. Now, why is this happening? And it's due partly to the changes occurring in your loved one's metabolism. Their body is shutting down, and this is just part of that process. So what can you do to help? Um, touch gently, but again, only if they like to be touched. Talk reassuringly. Remain calm. Um, medication can be needed for restlessness. Uh, if it's, you know, if, if there is sort of an aggravated restlessness. Um, my sister, right an hour, a few hours before she went into the final stages of the dying process, decided she wanted to clean out her medicine drawer. <laughs> and I'm with her. And I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> and she's like going through this. And she's like, gave me, she had always had, um, was overweight. That was like the, the thing in, in our family is that we were a group of overweight females, like going back many generations, trust me. And she had these like weight loss supplements she says here you take these you need these it's like thanks <laughs> sister <laughs> but what was interesting charlie is i didn't recognize that as like terminal agitation I, like and it was just yeah. like a few hours when when she crashed but i didn't recognize i should have rec in hindsight i recognize it but i didn't recognize it at the time um and, you know, for the longest time I kept those supplements, it was, like, hard for me to throw them away because, like, in her last cogent breath, she insulted right. me. <laughs> 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 we lost pills. <laughs> oh, my. Okay. So, um, the other thing is that you might notice a gradual decrease in your loved one's urine output. Um, if they have a catheter in, the urine can appear to be very dark. Um, the other thing is that the bowel movements can stop altogether, all or the person can become incontinent, meaning that the, the stool and the urine just 
comes out that they don't control it within the last few days. So why this happens is that the circulation decreases, the kidneys and bowel function can be reduced, and that the muscles can relax, causing that incontinence for the patient. Now, they can't control that. The, the muscles just aren't, you know, working the way that they should. And um, it can be really distressing that if you have this really dignified parent or spouse and all of a sudden they're laying in their own stool in urine, you're like, oh my God, this sort of freaks you out. But, you know, stay calm. Um, they may need some, you know, underbody pads or diaper kind of um, mechanism. If they don't have a catheter in, uh, ask the hospice nurse to put one in so that, you know, that doesn't have to have to happen. Um, and, you know, just change them, change the pads, change the diapers, uh, whatever it is that's being used. And don't say, geez, you know, mom, did you really have to do this? It's just, no, they can't control it. Just clean it up. And um, if it's a parent, they certainly cleaned up your messes many times, so that's okay. Um, the other thing is that the breathing can become more irregular, and we talked about that in um, episode 34, so you can go back and listen to that. Uh, the breathing may be shallow, might be have long pauses, which can become more frequent and longer in duration as death approaches, especially during the last few days. You can hear increased sounds of congestion in the throat, in the chest and the rattle in the throat that could be heard during the last hours. Uh, why does this happen? Is because the circulation of blood to the internal organs, including the heart and lungs, is going to decrease. And the throat muscles will begin to relax, and the lungs will lose their ability to clear fluids. And we talked about how this is distressing to us to watch and to listen to, mm. but for the person who is actively dying, it's not a distressful feeling for them. So what can you do? You elevate the head of their bed or use pillows to elevate the loved one's head. You can turn um, them on their side. That helps. Um, oxygen does not help at this stage, but medications like morphine can be very useful or um, scopolamine to dry up those secretions. We talked about that in episode 34. So with the, um, when you when you when you say morphine, how how is the morphine helpful? The morphine decreases the oxygen requirement. So you if you have less oxygen being moved around, the morphine works within your body so that you don't need as much oxygen in order to um have good oxygenation. So it's just, it's like one of those things that, one of those medicines that will help your body be more efficient in its use of the oxygen. So um, that's why that works. You need to speak respectfully. Although your loved one might not be responsible, responsive to you, they may still hear you. And we we haven't had anybody come back and say, I didn't hear a thing you said. So Quit talking to me. We don't know. So let's assume that they do hear you and be mindful of what you're saying. Um, mouth care increases comfort, you know, keeping the mouth nice and clean, but suctioning does not help. Suctioning makes it worse. 
And like I said, transdermal scopolipine patch or atropine drops can help to dry up those secretions. So although you may be prepared for the dyeing process, you may not be prepared for the actual moment. It may be helpful for you and your family to think about and discuss what you would do if you were alone when the death occurs. The death of somebody who's getting hospice care is something that's called expected, and it's not an emergency. Nothing must be done immediately. So the signs of death include things like there's no heartbeat, there might be release of the bowel and bladder, they're not responsive, um, the eyelids may be slightly open, pupils could be enlarged, um, the eyes could be fixed on a certain point, they're not blinking, um, the jaws relax, the mouth is slightly open. So th those are the things that you're going to see to know that the person has died. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in our next show. But in terms of understanding the last hours of living, these are the things that you're going to see. It's not an emergency situation because we've expected this to happen. You knew that they were at the end of their life. And at some point, these things are going to happen. We um, have a good reference for you in um, the show notes. Uh, it's a timeline kind of thing in terms of details and paperwork and what kinds of things you need to do um, after the death. But it's a good document to get and to have and to kind of look over so that you can prepare or at least know in your head what's going to come next. Because sometimes the, that, the death comes and you say, oh crap, now what am I supposed to do? Um, if, you're, if the person's being cared for by hospice, all you have to do is call your hospice nurse and they'll take care of that next stage. But um, the paperwork and all that stuff afterwards, this document's a good thing That'll help you. Questions, Charlie? No, not really. You just cover everything so well. You bring something up and then you, you explain it. So, no, thank you. You're welcome. Um, what do you have for our third half? Well, I have an essay to read to you about expected death that was posted on Facebook by Sarah Kerr. She's a ritual healing practitioner and a death doula. When someone dies, the first thing to do is nothing. Don't run out and call the nurse. Don't pick up the phone. Take a deep breath and be present to the magnitude of the moment. There's a grace to being at the bedside of someone you love as they make their transition out of this world. At the moment when they take their last breath, there's an incredible sacredness in the space. The veil between the two worlds opens. We are so unprepared and untrained in how to deal with death that sometimes a kind of panic kicks in. They're dead. We knew they were going to die, so their being dead is not a surprise. It's not a problem to be solved. It's very sad, but it's not cause to panic. If anything, their death is a cause to take a deep breath, stop, and be really present to what's happening. If you're at home, 
maybe put on the kettle and make a cup of tea. Sit at the bedside and just be present to the experience in the room. What's happening for you? What might be happening for them? What other presences are here that might be supporting them on their way? Tune into all the beauty and magic. Pausing gives your soul a chance to adjust, because no matter how prepared we are, a death is still a shock. If we kick into do mode and call 911 or call hospice, we never get a chance to absorb the enormity of this event. Give yourself five minutes or 10 minutes or 15 just to be. You'll never get that time back again if you don't take it now. After that, do the smallest thing you can. Call the one person who needs to be called. Engage whatever systems need to be engaged, but engage them at the very most minimal level. Move really, really, really slowly because this is a period where it's easy for body and soul to get separated. Our bodies can gallop forwards, but sometimes our souls haven't caught up. If you have an opportunity to be quiet and be present, take it. Accept and acclimate and adjust to what's happening. Then, as the train starts rolling and all the things that happen after a death kick in, you'll be better prepared. You won't get a chance to catch your breath later on. You need to do it now. Being present in the moments after death is an incredible gift to yourself. It's a gift to the people you are with, and it's a gift to the person who's just died. They're just a hair's breath away. They're just starting their new journey in the world without a body. If you keep a calm space around their body and in the room, they're launched in a more beautiful way. It's a service to both sides of the veil. Wow, that's really beautiful, isn't it, really it Charlie? Is. Yeah. And I just wanted to thank Dr. Kerr for giving us permission to share this with our listeners. It's really a wonderful piece. Yes. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Please stay tuned for future episodes of Everyone Dies. This is Charlie Navarrete here to remind you that everything that lives does die. And I'm Marianne Matzo, and we'll see you next week. Remember, Take it easy when you're eating that aphrodisiac goat soup. And remember that every day is a gift. This podcast does not provide medical advice. All discussion on this podcast, such as treatments, dosages, outcomes, charts, patient profiles, advice, messages, and any other discussion are for informational purposes only and are not a substitute for professional medical advice or treatment. Always seek the advice of your primary care practitioner or other qualified health providers with any questions that you may have regarding your health. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you have heard from this podcast. If you think you may have a medical emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. Everyone Dies does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, practitioners, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned in this podcast. Reliance on any information provided in this podcast by persons appearing on this podcast at the invitation of Everyone Dies or by other members is solely at your own risk.